Hi, I'm Tyler Salty, pastor of Grace Bible Fellowship in Peru, Illinois. Our mission at Grace Bible Fellowship is to magnify the glory of the triune God in Christ Jesus by proclaiming God's word to advance the gospel in our lives and the world. We base who we are and what we do on the good news of Jesus. If you would like to find more information about Grace Bible Fellowship, you can visit our website at www.gbfperu.org. I'm so thankful you've come here to listen to God's Word proclaimed as we seek to understand it and be transformed by it. I hope you find this time meaningful, challenging, convicting, joyful, and even life-changing as we worship through the preaching of God's Word. Isaiah 40 says, a voice says, cry, and I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. We know the flesh is fading. Our beauty, whatever beauty we think we possess, is diminishing. Maybe some of us feel that more than others. Maybe at various times we feel that more than other times. But the word of the Lord remains forever. Our bodies and our beauty might waste away, but God's word never wastes away. We might diminish, but God's word never diminishes. The only hope for those who wither away is the word of God. So it's the word that we always want to proclaim. It's the word we always want to hold fast to. It's the word that we trust and we believe with our whole hearts. So we come back to the word again this morning in Exodus 31, verses 12 through 18. Would you stand with me as we read these together? Exodus chapter 31, verses 12 through 18. After I finish reading verse 18, I will say, this is the word of the Lord, and together we will say, thanks be to God. Hear the word of the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, You are to speak to the people of Israel and say, Above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths, for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. You shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Whoever does any work on it, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Six days, you shall, work, uh, six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall be put to death. Therefore, the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever. It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel. 
that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. And he gave to Moses, when he had finished speaking with him on Mount Sinai, the two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone written with the finger of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Give us ears, O Lord, to hear what your spirit would say to your church. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Much can be communicated through music. The tempo of the song, the major key versus the minor key. You might even associate music with a certain time in your life or a certain activity that maybe you were doing when you heard that song. When you hear music, it can communicate something to your mind. It could communicate happiness or sadness. It could communicate triumph or defeat. And one of the ways that a composer will communicate through music is through dynamics. Dynamics is just a word that refers to how loud or how quiet the music is to be played. Very often the composer gets to the end of a piece of music and you will reach the climax, the pinnacle the part of the music that is designed to leave an indelible impression on your ears and on your mind and on your heart. And often you might find a crescendo. The volume is being turned up. It is getting louder and perhaps more forceful. It is the exclamation point of the piece. If you're familiar with Handel's Messiah, the Hallelujah Chorus is the climax, the final statement, the exclamation point on everything that has preceded it. Exodus 31, verses 12 through 18, is the climax, the final statement, the exclamation point on everything that has preceded it. It is the hallelujah chorus of this section of Scripture. The question is, would you ever pick it out to be the exclamation point? Would you ever pick it out to be the hallelujah chorus of this section of scripture? If you were to read it, would you say, when you got to this, wow, this really left an impression on my heart. Can we pick out the dynamics of God's word in our Bible reading? Do you know the soft parts? Do you know the loud parts? Or are you deaf to the dynamics of God's word? I fear that too often we are deaf to the dynamics. 
Why are we deaf? Why don't we hear the loud parts? Sometimes you have to be willing to read larger swaths of God's word to hear the dynamics. Maybe you have to take time to read a whole book of the Bible in one sitting. How do I know or how am I saying that this section of scripture is the hallelujah chorus? Well, God has left evidences that he's been building to this chorus throughout this section of Exodus. So if you have your Bibles, turn back to Exodus 25 for a second. Exodus 25. Right before Exodus 25, the covenant with the people has been confirmed. There's, in fact, a meal that they have with the Lord there on the mountain. The covenant that God has been making with his people is confirmed on the mountain. And then Moses enters the cloud, there verse 18 of 24, Moses enters the cloud, the glory cloud, went up on the mountain, and he's on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. And now, follow me here for a moment. So, Exodus 25, 1. The Lord said to Moses, and now turn over to Exodus 30, 11. Verse 30, uh, Exodus 30, 11. The Lord said to Moses. Now Exodus 30, 17. The Lord said to Moses. Now Exodus 30, 22. The Lord said to Moses. Exodus 30, 34. The Lord said to Moses. Exodus 31, 1. The Lord said to Moses. Exodus 31, 12, and the Lord said to Moses. From Exodus 25 through Exodus 31, this has all been the Lord communicating to Moses there on Mount Sinai. And if you were paying attention and you were counting how many times it says, the Lord said to Moses, you would see it said it seven times. So God's speech is broken up into seven sections. Seven being a divine number. This is a divine speech. This is God communicating to Moses. We know that this number seven is crucial in God's word. In fact, if you go to the book of Revelation, you see many sevens. You see Seven seals, seven trumpets, seven angels with seven plagues, seven bowls of God's wrath. And with each seventh of these, there is a climactic role. Like you are waiting for the seventh seal. You are waiting for the seventh bowl. And when those things take place, something climactic happens. But we also know sevens with the creation of the earth and the world and the cosmos. God created everything in seven Days And what happened on the seventh day? God rested. 
Interesting here in God's speech that he culminates with this seventh section with what? The Sabbath. With rest. The climax found on the seventh day that God blessed and made holy. The Sabbath day. Now Yahweh's speech in Exodus climaxes, reaches a climax. And what do we find at the pinnacle? It is again the Sabbath day, the seventh day. If this is the crescendo and the climax, we cannot dismiss it or downplay its significance. Think about what you, what you think when you come to the law of God. What is the law of God all about? We might say, the law of God is all about work, work, work. The law of God is all about rules, rules, rules. And Yahweh comes to the climax here of his speech and it says, the law is about rest, rest, rest. How have we missed the point if we miss the crescendo, the climax? And would we put this at the climax? We say, yes, this is the climax. It's the Sabbath. It's rest. We might like to skip over it. We might like to downplay it. We might like to forget about it. In fact, when you come to this, we might say, let's turn the volume down. Let's muffle it. Let's drown it out. We are more comfortable with other truths than the Sabbath. It might make us uncomfortable, but here Yahweh ends his speech in a climactic fashion, talking about rest. And notice the, again, the juxtaposition. What had God just talked about in the previous verses? He talked about the work, the Lord's work that is to be done. The Lord's work by Bezalel and Aholiab and the other men who had wise hearts, all of the work that they were to do. But now it's juxtaposition, it's contrasted with rest. Just as that was the Lord's work, now it's the Lord's rest that Yahweh focuses on. What is the point of the Sabbath? And why did God design the Sabbath the way that he did? And what does it have to do with us? Because most of us, perhaps we have forgotten about the Sabbath. And, it's so do and in so doing, it's like we've heard all of Handel's Messiah, but we failed to sing the Hallelujah Chorus. If you look at last week's outline, you'll see some similarities here with this week's outline. And that's because I think the Lord is saying something similar to what he said in the previous section of his speech. But now with the focus being on rest, the Sabbath. So while there is some difference, there's also some similarities from what we said last week to this week. But might we have ears to hear the climax of Yahweh's speech 
And what do we learn from this last section of his speech? Number one, you can follow along in your bulletin if that's helpful. Number one, the Lord initiates the Sabbath to sanctify his people. The Lord initiates the Sabbath to sanctify his people. Notice what it says here in verse 13. Above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths, for this is a sign. God had designed the Sabbath to be a sign. It was his idea. It was the sign of the covenant the Lord makes with Israel. When we read God's word, we come to understand that this is not new or foreign. When God makes a covenant... He often associates a sign with that covenant. So we can think back to the covenant that God made with Noah. And the sign with that covenant is a rainbow. When God made a covenant with Abraham, he gave him the sign of circumcision. And so now we come to this covenant that Yahweh makes with Israel. and The sign is the Sabbath. And we... As believers in Jesus Christ, as Christians, haven't gotten rid of signs either. Now the signs of the new covenant are baptism and the Lord's Supper. A sign is a physical pointer to a spiritual reality. And part of this spiritual reality is that the Lord is living in relationship with His people. When the people of Israel keep or obey the Sabbath, it was a reminder that they had a relationship with Yahweh was a reminder that Yahweh was not some distant God who was far from them, but He was a God who was near them. He was dwelling in their midst. Yahweh had come to dwell among them, to be with them, so they might know Him, so they might worship Him, so they might be close to Him. And in this relationship, the Lord had made a specific promise to His people. The Lord initiated the Sabbath to sanctify his people. So, when the people would work for six days and then do no work on the seventh day, it was to drive home into their hearts that the Lord was their sanctifier. That is, it's the Lord who was making them holy. It was the Lord who was setting them apart for his purposes and for his glory. He was the one who would make them into the holy nation that he promised they would be back in Exodus 19.6. And I love how Yahweh says this. At the end of verse 13 there, in the ESV it says, I the Lord sanctify you. We could say it another way. I the Lord your sanctifier. There is no other way to be holy. There is no other path of sanctification. The only way for you to be sanctified is if the Lord sanctifies you. And now the Lord says to Israel, and you are going to stop all of your work, stop all of your labor, and remember, it is my work that ultimately sanctifies you. Only God, who is both innately holy and the epitome of holiness, can make others holy. The question to us is, is the Lord our sanctifier or 
Are you your own sanctifier? Is the Lord making you holy? Or do you somehow think that you will make yourself holy? If you have your Bibles, look at John 17. 17. John 17, 17. Jesus prays to the Father the night that he is betrayed. And he says, and he says to the Father, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Who is the sanctifier? Who is the one who is going to make the disciples of Jesus Christ holy? Jesus says, God, sanctify them. And the means by which you will sanctify them is your word. Your word is truth. And you will sanctify them through your word. Through your truth. God is the one who sanctifies us. God is not only the one who has redeemed us and redeemed them, but also he is the one who sanctified them and so also sanctifies us. Do you recognize the Lord as your sanctifier? As the one who is making you holy? And do you depend upon him to do that work? Number two, the Lord affirms the Sabbath to elicit devotion in his people. The Lord affirms the Sabbath to elicit devotion in his people. The Lord next gives instructions and warnings associated with the Sabbath. Six days the people are to work, but on the seventh day, on Saturday, they were not to work. This action was a demonstration that the Sabbath was a holy day. That it was a day that was set apart. It was not a common day. You could not treat the Sabbath day like you treated all the other days of the week. And look at how the Lord affirms the Sabbath in verse 15. But the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest. Yahweh does something interesting here. He doubles that word Sabbath. It's as if to say it is a Sabbath of Sabbaths. It is a rest of rests. Or resting, you shall rest. It's a complete rest. It's a full rest. It's a whole rest. And it is a deliberate rest. Rest. This is an area I believe that many of us might need to shift the way that we think about rest. Because so much of our culture thinks about rest coming to them in a mind-numbing way. A way where we turn off our minds A way when we detach from everything else. Brothers and sisters, that is not godly, divine rest. Divine rest is deliberate, thoughtful. A mind that's filling itself with God's truth from his word.
how many people go to various things today to try to find rest. They numb their minds with their cell phones or the internet or social media. Does that bring rest to your life? Does that stir up contentment within your soul? Do you ever put down your phone and say, I feel so refreshed after being on my phone for two hours? Brother and sister, it's time for us to recover the true meaning of rest. It's time for us to understand what real rest looks like. It reminds me of this analogy of a kite. A kite that a child would seek to get up into the air. There is the tautness, the tightness of the string. And if we are that kite that's there, sometimes I fear that we think, if only I could detach. Then I would be free. Then I would be at rest. But what happens the moment that that kite is detached from the string? It comes crashing to the ground in a heap of rubble and destruction. God gives us divine rest and he holds on to us through his love and grace so that we don't detach. God is saying to his people here, this rest is a blessed rest. It's a holy rest. It is a deliberate rest. And by the people obeying, by the people keeping this Sabbath rest, they were declaring, making a public declaration of their covenant loyalty to the Lord of the Sabbath. The holiness of the Sabbath was to prompt devotion in the people of God. And look at how this devotion manifests itself. The Lord says, people of God, I want you to show me your devotion. And it's like the people of God saying, how? How would you like us to show you that we are devoted to you? And Yahweh says, do nothing. Stop all of your work. Look at what I'm doing and worship me. And if they failed to do this, they would be deserving of the death penalty. Does that seem harsh to our ears? These people deserve to die if they don't keep the Sabbath? By profaning and defiling the Sabbath, these people were denying their need of Yahweh's sanctifying work in their life. They were rejecting His holiness 
and their need for His holiness. Therefore, it was like they were saying they did not need the covenant that the Lord gave to them. They did not need the relationship that came with the covenant. So essentially, they were saying they do not need the Lord. What happens if you do not afford yourself of the means of the sanctification the Lord has appointed in your life to make you holy? You deny the Lord. And how dangerous is that denial? How serious is that denial? So dangerous and so serious that it is deserving of death. Number three. The Lord is imitated on the Sabbath to refresh his people. The Lord is imitated on the Sabbath to refresh his people. The Sabbath is to be a reminder that God has a goal for his creation. The goal is not perpetual activity and work. The goal is rest. Do you even hear that today in the Revelation reading? The people who were assigned to hell, they never rested. The goal of God's creation is rest, divine rest. And by calling his people into this weekly pattern, Yahweh is calling his people to imitate him. Just as he made heaven and the earth in six days and then rested, so they are to work for six days and then rest. And here, in the Sabbath, with this divine human relationship, the people are called to share in God's rest. And to share in the blessing that comes with his rest. <laughs> you want to be countercultural? A countercultural Christian? Find ways to live like this that work is not the goal, but that rest is. It's not what our world says. It's not what our world does. God's creative and redemptive goal in creation is rest. And look at what it says. The end of verse 17. And on the seventh day, he rested, and then look at this word, and was refreshed. Does God need to be refreshed? What does that mean? When we think of refreshed, we think of something or someone that is diminished. There's a loss of energy. There is a tiredness. God, however, cannot be diminished. As if the needle on his gas tank is never off of full. He does not expend energy like we expend energy and need rest. God rested on the seventh day to signal that his work of creation was complete. There was nothing more that he needed to do. But now we are given another description. This is what we would call an anthropomorphism. Big word. It's just a human-like quality, a man-like quality given to God. And so whatever it means here to say that God rested, we understand, or that God was refreshed, we understand that this is not like man needs to be refreshed. 
Not like we might need to be refreshed. But it speaks to one of the purposes of the Sabbath, which is so that man would be refreshed. It shows the benefit that one receives when one faithfully keeps the Sabbath. How do we know this refreshing now? Well, if you have your Bibles and look at Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3, verses 19 and 20. This is Peter speaking here. Acts 3, verse 17. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, thus he fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of what? That times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring of all things, about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Do you hear that? How is it now that we know this refreshing? It's through the salvation that comes through Jesus Christ. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come. It's a work that God is doing in us where we put our faith and trust in Jesus, where we repent of our sins so that now we can know this kind of refreshing. The refreshing that comes from Jesus Christ. A refreshing that comes from Him because He is the culmination and the fulfillment of the Sabbath. So, number four, Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. This is the exclamation point. What role does the Sabbath serve in our lives today? We don't observe the Sabbath like the Israelites did in the Old Testament. Why not? It's not because we despise the Sabbath, but because now we view the Sabbath through the person and work of Jesus Christ. The weekly Sabbath was a reminder of the divine, eternal rest. But now the opportunity to enter into that rest requires the obedience of Jesus Christ. The only way we're able to enter into that rest is because of what Jesus Christ has done to save us. He is the Lord of the Sabbath. He is the one who invites us to come to Him. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. Come to me for rest. He is the one who does all the work that is necessary for salvation so that all we do is rest in His work, not in our work. Jesus is the fulfillment of the Sabbath. And He is the one who leads us into that eternal and divine rest of God. And how can I say this? Well, look at me for a moment with Luke, at Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. 
Verses 18 and following. Jesus is speaking in the synagogue at Nazareth. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, if you go back just a little bit to verse 16, you'll see that Jesus was saying this in the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And what Jesus does here, particularly in verse 19, in quoting from Isaiah 61, he is saying, I am the fulfillment of the year of the Lord's favor. What is that? Well, in the Israelite calendar, there was the year of Jubilee. The year of Jubilee was also known as the year of the Lord's favor. The year of Jubilee came every 50 years. So every seven days, you practice the Sabbath. Every seven years, you practice a Sabbath year where you let the ground lay fallow. But after 49 years, seven times seven, you practiced the year of Jubilee, where all the slaves were set free, where all the land was returned to its original owners. And Jesus says, I am the fulfillment of the year of Jubilee. This is the Sabbath of all Sabbaths, because the Son of God has come. And what does Jesus do then? He says, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And then look at what he does. Verse 31, the same day he goes down, there's a man who's possessed with an unclean demon, and he casts the demon out. What is he going to do? He's going to release the captives. Here is a man who's held bound captive by this oppressive demon, and Jesus releases him. And when does he do that? Oh, it's the same day. It's on the Sabbath day. And then what does he do? He goes into Simon Peter's house. Verse 38, now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her, rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. When did this happen? Same day. The Sabbath day, Jesus goes to Peter's house. He heals Peter's mother-in-law from her fever. What does he do? He's rolling back the curse. Even those who are physically, physically bound by the curse, like those who are blind, who recover their sight. Now this woman who had a fever is healed. And what does she do? She immediately rose and began to serve them. She showed her devotion to Jesus Christ through her service. And what a paradox that we have here. That when we know the rest of Jesus Christ, it instills this devotion in us to serve him. Notice no one said to this woman on the Sabbath day, no, 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 you shouldn't be doing that. You shouldn't be serving that's exactly what she should be doing because she found her rest in Jesus Christ. Because he was the one who saved her. And so do all who have called upon Christ as their Savior. 
they know his rest. And now we are able to enter into that final and full rest. And we look forward to that someday in the future when Christ will return, when he will take us home, when we will be in that rest finally and fully. Until that day, it's interesting what Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 4. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Do you know the rest of Jesus? Do you need his rest? Do you need his salvation? Do you need to stop your efforts to think that you can save yourself? Come to him. Come to the cross. Come to the empty tomb. See the Savior who saves us from all of our sins. Put your faith and trust in him. Or today, maybe you just need this reminder. Maybe you're struggling with being able to find rest in your own soul, in your own heart. Maybe it's because this word of God that's living and active really doesn't have much place in your life. Today is the day to come again to Jesus. Today is the day to find your rest in Him. Today is the day not to detach, but to find that you are so bound to His love that He will never let you go. So you are at rest in Him. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You for Your Word today pray that you would continue to instruct our souls and let us see our desperate need for the rest that we can find in Jesus and in Jesus alone. Father, I pray that we would hear the invitation of Jesus and come to him afresh today. We would lay all of our burdens upon him, knowing that he cares for us. And we would be refreshed by him. Pray this in Jesus' name.